0: Good morning. So we're gonna we're gonna start together. Would you stand with me? And we're gonna we're gonna pray. I know you just sat down. So <laughs> um, Thursday morning, I had woken up uh, like five in the morning, and this doesn't happen super often. But the Lord told me to pray, and I had not seen any of the news that happened before. Um, I hadn't seen anything, and in that time of prayer, um, what the Lord impressed on my heart. There's this phrase in the New Testament. It's two Aramaic words and they are Maranatha, Maranatha. And it's a phrase that means, come Lord Jesus. And it's this phrase that's um, it's in the book of James a couple of times. And, and what it is, is it's the prayer of the saints, um, the cry of the hearts of the saints, come Lord Jesus. And in situations and days like we find ourselves in, Um, what we need is Jesus. It's what we need. We need Jesus. Um, And so if you would join with me, we're simply going to say this together and then have a moment of silence for uh, the events that happened this week. Um, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. If you'd join with me. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. We'll do it again all together. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Lord, we just thank you for your presence amongst us. We pray right now that you would guide us, that you would lead us. And we pray for those that have recently gone through tragedy and we just pray for healing. And we pray that the presence of the Lord, uh, that they would feel your manifest presence amongst them, uh, and that that you would reveal yourself and heal, and heal our land, Lord. Heal our people, heal our land. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So if you were here at the beginning of October, I preached a sermon called uh, A Holy Knowing. And um, for those of you who were not here, that, uh, that sermon, if I was to sum it up, it would be knowing God is the reward, right? We need to know Him. It is the reward for our lives, right? Yes, there will be a day where we go off to heaven, but we get to know Him now, right? And that is our reward for the Christian walk and so today, we're kind of going to follow that up. Um, we're going to be talking about the table of the Lord, and we are going to be walking through the story of the Last Supper. Um, before we get into that and into the Word, I would just challenge you, today, um, I'm going to be reading out of the ESV, which I don't think we have. Maybe they'll put a, uh, the NIV up on the screens, but I would just challenge you, um, picture the story in your mind. Um, let the story, the, the, um, what this story looks like, try to really grasp that picture because there's a lot of detail here. I think this happens a lot when we read scripture. There's some portions of scripture that are so packed with meaning. Um, like you, you read the Old Testament in the book of Kings and Chronicles and Samuel and it could say, uh, and a battle happened and 20,000 people died. Okay, that's a, that's a huge war, right? But that's that's, uh, that could be encapsulated in five words in Scripture, right? And, and so I, I would just challenge you today, even more than reading it yourself, just try to picture this as I read it. So today we're going to walk through the narrative of the Last Supper from a few different perspectives. And while the world around us is in turmoil and we see the decay of society around us, there's an invitation from the Lord to sit with him and feast, the challenge for us is that it's hard to sit down when the house is on fire. When we look at our lives and we see chaos and when we look at society and the nations and we see chaos, it can be really difficult to slow down the pace of our lives and turn to God. I don't know about for you, but for me, if, the, if I'm crying about anything, it's very difficult for me to eat. I don't want to eat and cry at the same time. It feels strange, right? And I feel like that's the the same spiritual tension that we find ourselves in is when the world is in chaos, what we need is to sit with Jesus and to feast at his table, knowing that he actually has prepared a table for us to feast. And many times we're so caught up in the things that are going on around us, rightfully so, but we're so caught up in those things that we don't receive from the Lord what he's intended to give. What I'm going to get at today is that the answer to our issues daily, corporately as a nation, they're all wrapped up in feasting with the Lord. The war of the believer is to sit down like David in the presence of his enemies. What did he say? Psalms 23 verse 5, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. That's a weird place for a table to be. Is in the midst of a battlefield, and that's kind of the point. And so we're gonna we're gonna dig into the word here. Um, this is Luke twenty-two, and we're gonna start in verse seven. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So this is the third Passover that these disciples have walked with Jesus for. They've done two others with him, and this is the final one, although they do not know that yet. So, then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, behold, when you've entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And when he, and he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare the Passover there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. The Passover feast is coming, and Jesus sends Peter and John to go prepare this feast. Jesus either supernaturally or personally knows both the servant and the master of this house. right? So Peter and John go, and they find this man, just as Jesus said, and they begin to prepare this feast. So I want you to picture this for a second. Is they're, they're obedient to Jesus. They do everything he says, and so they, they take off and they go into a city, and they're looking for what? They're looking for a man carrying a jar of water. Not super descriptive, right? Um, But as things mostly go with, uh, always go with Jesus is when he tells you something will happen, it will happen. And so they obey, and they go, and they find this person. They've walked through the gate, and they, they see a man, a servant, carrying a jar of water, and then they follow him, and they talk to the master of the house, and And the assumption here, it's not explicitly stated, but the assumption is um, Jesus somehow knows the master of this house and knows that he can use this guy's upper room. And so Peter and John, they gather all the supplies. Passover is not just a dinner. Passover is the celebration of the Exodus. And this is a feast day. It's a celebration, but it's a holy and sacred celebration. And so they bring all the supplies that they need up the stairs into this upper room and they begin to set a table. And this is an important day and they want to be obedient disciples and they want to do the best that they can and so you can imagine these two carrying plates and cups and bread and wine and meats and utensils and herbs and spices and they set this table. They set it with intention. They do it to the best of their ability. Go on to um, verse 14. When the hour came, he, Jesus, reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled In the kingdom of God. Jesus begins this dinner in a particularly emotional and welcoming tone. I've earnestly desired to eat this meal with you. What about the Passovers the previous two years? The first one was John 2 and Jesus um, filled with anger. That's when he casted out the money changers um, from the temple. He wanted to have a feast with his disciples and followers and he was filled with rage because of the corruption that he found. The second Passover of Jesus' ministry, it's in John 6, verse 4. And at this point, we see the miraculous feeding of the 5,000. And we can picture Jesus at both of these celebrations looking towards what is coming and trying to point his people towards the future plans of God. So he's sitting there at, the, at this feeding of the 5,000 a year before I want to feast with my people. I want to feed them. This is what I want. And that's, that's the first two Passovers. So we get to this one. And Jesus says something very interesting. And this is different for them. I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you. But I will not eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So already the, the, the tone of this is, okay, wait a sec. This is different than before. This is not like the other Passovers we've experienced. This is an important day. I do want to note too, actually no, we'll get to that in a second. So they feasted with him twice, but this year Jesus does not take up bread for himself or any other part of the meal. Why? The symbolism of the act of what Passover signifies has not been fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Passover is the celebration of the exodus. Right And, and what, is, what happened there, if you go back? Um, slaughtered the lamb and the blood on the doorposts. right? And then the angel of the Lord comes by and, and kills all of the firstborn. But those who were, whose entry to their home was covered by the blood of the lamb, they were spared. They were spared. And what Jesus is saying is, when this is fulfilled in the kingdom of God through my life as the lamb, then I will eat with you and feast with you. Go to verse 17 here. And he took a cup. So this is after he's already said, I'm not actually going to eat with you today. And he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves for I tell you, that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom comes, kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The cup is my blood establishing a new covenant a new way. What does he say in the Garden of Gethsemane later on? Father, if at all possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, what you will be done, right? This cup is him sacrificing his life to begin a new covenant in his own blood. All right, so this is the backdrop of the Last Supper, and this is how it starts. In all of the Gospels, have a reference to the Last Supper. They tell this narrative. But we're going to go to John 14 right now. And what I want to say here is, uh, John 13 to 17 is five chapters, but that is the the Gospel of John only has 21 chapters. 25% of the Gospel of John is one dialogue and information that happens in one night of Jesus' ministry right and this blew my mind when i was starting to think through this john 13 through 17 is all what happens at this one feasting table of the lord at this last passover supper this is a big deal to the writer to to john right this something about this dinner is different than everything we've experienced before right and so he takes special note to the things that are happening at this table. So John 14, uh, we're going to start in verse 1. And the one thing, the one backdrop I want to say is, uh, so 13, he starts out as soon as they come into the house before the meal, he washes their feet, right? Then he says, one of you will betray me. And he sends Judas away as the one who's going. He says, go do what you need to do. Right? And we all know that that's Judas being filled with Satan to betray the Lord, right? So, note, Judas is actually not at the feasting table. Okay? John 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And in my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I, uh, I would not have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, may you also be. And you know the way to where I am going. You can imagine Jesus looking at John and Peter and saying these words, I go to prepare a place for you. The thing you just did, They found this servant. They went to the master. And then with care and intention, they set up a holy and sacred feast for their teacher. They had just done this. They organized plates and cups in a certain fashion. And they just prepared this feast. And then Jesus says, I'm actually not going to eat with you. But I am going to prepare a place for you. Just like you just prepared this meal, I am going to prepare a place for you. And this is where you can really picture Peter and John. Okay, okay, this is really important. This is this is different. This is not what we've experienced before. This passage of Scripture, John 13 to 17, is like a zoom in to this one night. Many times in Scripture, like I said before, we get... Um, one sentence that might describe a year or a whole king's reign. And here we get something very, very different. And so as homework, you're getting homework today. Uh, your homework is John 13 to 17. Um, John knew that this was the most important night of Jesus' ministry. This one night with the disciples. This passage of scripture is him remembering and writing down every detail he could about the conversation right before Jesus' betrayal. Okay? This is what is. So what I'm going to do now is instead of reading you five chapters, because that will take a long time, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to highlight a couple of things that happen within this span of Scripture so you can get an idea of what's important to Jesus and what's actually happening at the feasting table Of the Lord. So, first, Jesus, what did we say earlier? He washed the disciples' feet. The very first thing is he sets the example for service. He gets down on his hands and knees with a bowl of water and a towel and he scrubs dirty feet. The Messiah himself scrubbing dirty feet. And then he says, If you're going to lead in my kingdom, this is how you'll treat each other. Right? Then what else happens at the Lord's table? Betrayal. Well, what's interesting about betrayal is it doesn't happen with people you're not intimately connected with. Right? The table of the Lord is an intimate place where that could even happen. Right? There, there's so much intimacy at the Lord's table. Then he moves on to encapsulating teaching love one another. If, you've, if you listen to anything I said, love one another. And if you do that, people will know that you belong to me. They'll know you're my disciple if you love one another. Then he prophesies Peter's denial. Uh, what do you mean, Lord, you're going away? I would die for you. No, you will one day, but not, not now. You're going to deny me. That's sad, but we, we need Jesus to speak to our future. We need, as the church, we need the prophetic voice to be leading the way. That's going to happen at the Lord's table. Then he clarifies direction for them. He says, I am the way, right? You know the way to the Father. I am the way. Follow me. Follow me even when I'm gone. They're very confused by that. But nonetheless, he gives the direction. You followed me for three years. Continue to follow in my ways. That's the direction that you need. Then he says direction for the future. You need the promise of the Father. I'm going to clothe you in power, right? I'm going to clothe you in power. That's going to be intimacy with the Holy Spirit. He's going to come inside of you. And then you're going to feel union with me. That's going to be the direction for your future by following the Spirit. We're not going to leave you as an orphan. We're going to show you the way to go, right? Then he moves on to the method, of how we're going to live out Christ's mission when he's gone. I am the vine, you are the branches, and you will bear fruit. You have to remain in me, intimately connected with me at the feasting table. And if you do that, you will bear fruit, and I will prune you to bear more fruit. That's how we're going to do this. We're not going to set this up like a business model and take over the world. You're going to abide in me. And in me, then you'll bear fruit. Jesus then moves into encouragement and comfort for difficult days ahead. We need, as the body of Christ, we need encouragement and comfort. He says, they hated me first. They will hate you. Take heart. I've overcome the world. I'm going to overcome and then you will overcome because what? You're abiding in me. Right? Then he says, There's this whole new way that we're going to live. He gives clarity about what it means to live by the Spirit. He then promises joy. No one's going to take away your joy because you're going to abide in me, and then you will have my joy, and you will overcome with my joy. That's all 13 to 16. And then they, this. Narrative ends with the high priestly prayer. And like what a better image if you can imagine this. Jesus has just taught them all of this stuff. He's just dumped out everything he had in teaching at this table where they're eating. And they're just all intently listening. And then Jesus himself in full communion with God begins to pray and talk with God. And what a better thing for like a disciple to witness is like when Jesus is praying, what is on his mind? What is he thinking? What is he saying? What questions is he asking? Like what, he's talking with God and we know that he knows God. So I wanna listen to what he's saying, right? What an intimate moment to, to be involved with, to hear him pray out loud enough that we could record it. All of these things happened at what? At the feasting table of the Lord. so let's go back to Judas for a second. Judas had been with Jesus for three years of ministry. three full years. He knew Jesus, Jesus knew him. but everything the disciples needed to carry on into the future, right? all the teaching, the encouragement, all of that that they needed they, that he didn't get. He left before this happened. Amidst the darkest season of existence from a spiritual perspective, right right before Jesus is about to die, Jesus sets a table and he pours out everything he has to his people. What's interesting is Jesus says, I'm not going to eat with you until the Passover has been fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then what we see at the end of Luke and the end of the Gospel of John, it's not a Passover meal, but both of them are very intent on making sure the reader understands they're ending with Jesus eating with his people. He said, I'm going to eat with you when this is fulfilled. He dies, he's resurrected, and both of them have a different narrative on him eating with his disciples. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to turn there really quick. Is uh, The first one is Luke 24. This is Luke 24, starting in verse 41. So this is after he's died, been resurrected. He's already appeared to a few people a few times. And then in this encounter, starting in verse 41, While they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and he ate it before them. Then he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he what? He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And said to them, thus it's written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. He dies, he's resurrected And then he eats with them and that's when they understand what he meant at the table of the Lord before. It was all confusion for his death until this moment where they are awakened to understand that this was God's plan. This is how it's going to happen. He was going to fulfill this death and resurrection in the kingdom of God, be the Passover lamb, right? And then now they're starting to see that. John ends with eating as well. Right, and so this is in John 21. I'm not going to read it. It's John 21, 9 to 14, where he's he's died, he's resurrected. There's been encounters with him a few different times with different people, and then the the disciples are fishing in a boat, and they haven't caught anything again because they're not very good at it apparently. Uh, but he says a familiar thing to them: "Cast on the other side." And then they bring in 153 fish. And then what does he do? He has breakfast with them on the beach. I earnestly desired to eat with you, right? That's that's the tone of this, is that there is this feasting table with the Lord where he wants this intimate place with us where we can know him and we can learn from him and he can pour out everything he has for us and we can receive from him and we can place all our questions on that feasting table and he'll speak back to it right Jesus through his work has prepared a place for us where we can boldly come to God and receive from him not hindered by sin and separation Hebrews 4:16 says boldly come to the throne of grace to do what to receive From him. Boldly come to the throne to receive from him. The call for us is to sit at the table of the Lord. But the world is falling apart. Sit at my table. Learn from me. The world is misrepresenting you and destroying our societies. Sit at the table and feast with me. Learn from me. Hear me. Be challenged by me. Bring your questions and I will answer them. There's wars and rumors of wars. This fear everywhere. Sit at the table with me and learn from me. Just like David says, I'm preparing a table for you in the presence of your enemies. In this valley, in the battlefield. A battlefield is a strange place for a table to be. It doesn't feel natural to turn to Jesus when we've got all the chaos that this world has, right? And, and we know, like, this is going to continue, the chaos of the world, that will continue, right? Until the Lord comes back. And the calling for us is what the disciples did at that last supper. What John did as he penned this, sit and learn from me in this intimate place at the feasting table. We're gonna have the, uh, the band come back up um, in a minute. Um, and we're also going to do something interesting today. Um, I've done this before, and I feel like it's really important. We're going to do a, a contemplative prayer exercise. Um, it's an ancient church practice. It's older than your written Bible. And, um, and we're going to do that today. I feel like it's uh, important to be sowing into the spiritual disciplines, right? And um, so before we do that, I, I was thinking this week as I was preparing, I don't know if any of you remember the old, well, it's not that old, but the Robin Williams movie, Hook. Does anybody remember this movie where, he, where he's Peter Pan, except he's 45 years old, so it's weird that he's Peter Pan, right? And in this movie, he's learning to live with the lost boys, right? Like, they've got a strange way to live. Everything about them is weird, and he doesn't get it, and he's a businessman in his 40s, and so he's trying to, like, reframe his mind uh, to be a lost boy again because he is Peter Pan, and there's this one moment where they sit down to feast at a table. And he sits down, and he's like, there's, there's nothing here. And all of the lost boys are like, oh, this is amazing. This is a perfect feast. Look, everything we need. And he's looking at this like he doesn't see anything. The table's completely empty with a bunch of boys sitting around it. And oh, just believe, Peter, is the, the tone of the conversation. Just believe, and then it will be there. And then as, as soon as like, he has his moment, and then all of a sudden the table is filled with food and this giant food fight breaks out. and It's amazing. Great movie. Right? But I think for us, we know that with Jesus is where we need to be. We know that he has what we need. But sometimes we read and we pray and we come to church and we try to do the things that we know we need to do, and we feel like, man, maybe nothing happened. Did this benefit at all? I still, you know, we we tend to not see and not believe that that's truly the place where all of the good happens at the feasting table of the Lord. But it really is where everything He has to offer is going to be poured out at that feasting table. I'm gonna steal something from Bill Johnson because I love it so much, but. Um, He's said this many times, and he says, I don't know what I had for breakfast three weeks ago, but I do know that it nourished me. And I think with our relationship with God, with our habits with scripture, with our prayer life, our intimate moments with God in the secret place, it's the same thing where um, I don't need to see the specific outcome of my pursuit of intimacy to know that it's been nourishing me and keeping me away from fear and keeping me on the path to life. Right? Our challenge today is to be a people that sit and feast at the table. You've seen what, what's going on in the world. We experience this in real time. Just last week, we're talking about war in Israel, and this week, we're talking about a tragedy in our own home. And Jesus is saying to us, Feast with me. This same thing has been happening for thousands of years, right? The church, when they're being persecuted by Rome and they're fleeing to every country and they're being led to slaughter, right? And plagues throughout medieval times and the Holocaust. Where is God? He's at the feasting table. He's at this place where you can intimately know and experience him. And it does not mean that all these things around us are going to, disappear. They're going to be there, but you will have peace and clarity and the power of the Holy Spirit amidst the world's chaos, amidst the, the house that's on fire. Amen. Thank you, Francis. If you'd stand with me, we're gonna, we're going to do a little prayer exercise. I want you to picture in your mind a dark valley that was a battlefield, littered with the remnants of battle and it's dark and burnt. And in the middle of this valley, there is a table. You approach the table and Jesus is standing there and he invites you to sit. You sit on one side of the table with other empty seats around it and you see a beautiful spread of food and Jesus pulls out a plate and he begins to break bread and cut up meat and make you a plate. He pours wine in a cup and he hands it to you. Thank you. And my question for you that I would ask you to ponder in this moment without leaving that image What have you needed from Christ that He's desired to give you, and you just haven't sat there with Him to receive it? Do you have anxieties for where the world is at? He wants to give you His peace, not just any peace, His peace. He knows what's happening in the kingdom of God, He has peace. Did you need his joy? You think everything is going to crumble into dust and he's saying, my kingdom is growing and I couldn't be more happy about it. Clarity and wisdom, have you been seeking him for it and just not been able to receive it? Without leaving that moment too quick, sit there at this table and what I want to say is Jesus is more willing to give everything that he has and pour out to you um, everything than we thought he was. He's, He's more willing to do that than we thought. He wants to give you the things that you need. He's taken up that burden for himself to be the one that would be your provider, to be your clarity to be your direction, to be your savior, to be your comforter and encourager, to be your joy. I would just encourage you to sit at that table with him to receive what he has for. Jesus, thank you that amidst all of the chaos of the world and the things that we have seen and the things that will continue to happen within our our lifetime, that you have gone to prepare this place for us. And by your power, we can boldly come to this feasting table knowing that you want to pour out everything. And we can come there no matter the things that are happening in our lives or happening around us. There is this feasting table where you long to feed us. You just want to sit and eat with your people, to hear us, to be heard, to teach and to encourage. Lord, show us the value of the feasting table. In Jesus' name, amen. I would encourage you this week to get into John uh, 13 to 17 and see what the Lord has for you there. I would encourage you to do that. And remember that the big takeaway today is is that this table is always available. Jesus's work on the cross has made his table available to you every day where you can learn from him, right? If you have a prayer need in any area of your life, we would love to pray with you. Have a great week and feast at the table.